0: Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful to be here this morning. We are thankful for your word, for its power, for its instruction, for the understanding and guidance and strength it gives us. We ask your blessing upon it and upon us in our time this morning as we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. When my kids were growing up, they were always into this idea of fairness, right? It had to do with so many things, things like bedtime, how many presents they received at Christmas, the size of dessert, right? Whatever one got, the other had to get as well, right? It had to be fair. But you know, it's not just children who are concerned about this idea of fairness, is it? It's adults also, right? Adults are always looking around, what does that other person have that I don't have, right? We all don't have the same cars, the same houses, the same bank accounts. Sometimes you might look around and say to God, that isn't fair, God. Well, this morning as we are going through the Gospel of Matthew, we're in chapter 20 today. And chapter 20 is a wonderful chapter that helps us to not concern ourselves so much with fairness but to be more concerned about the kingdom of God and our place in the kingdom of God, and our role in the kingdom of God. And so this morning, through Jesus' words, through this teaching, we're going to have our focus on what is really important in life. Matthew chapter 20 starts off with a great story. It is a story of a a vineyard owner who needs his vineyard to be worked. And so he goes out to the marketplace one day and there's all these people standing around waiting for work. And so he chooses a few of them and he brings them over to his vineyard. They have agreed on a, a price to work, a denarius, which is the typical day's wage. And so they come and they begin to work and the, the, Vineyard owner is watching over them, and he's watching them do the work. And and after a a few hours, he's realizing this is not enough workers to get the work done. So he goes back to the marketplace, and he hires some more workers at 9 a.m., and they come and work, but it's still not enough. So he goes back at noon, and he goes back at 3, and at 5 o'clock, he's realizing there is still not enough workers to get the job done. So he goes back to the marketplace. There's still some more workers. He hires those workers. They come and the work is done in the end. Now, we are told that only the first group was really told what they were going to make. Remember, they, were, they agreed on a denarius. The others, we are told, is whatever was right, the lo- landowner said. So most of the workers didn't know how much they were going to get paid. They were just trusting that the, the landowner would be fair to them. Well, in Matthew 20, verse 8, it says, When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going, to, going on to the first. And so the last ones who were hired, who only worked one hour, came, and the landowner gave them each a denarius. And so you imagine the other workers like, Well, if they got a denarius for working one hour, what are we going to get? They probably got pretty excited, right? But one by one, we are told that as they came to get paid, each of them were paid one denarius. How do you think that made them feel? Probably like our children, right? That's not fair, right? And we read this in verse 12. They said, these who are hired last worked only one hour. They said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. We probably too would have said that, right? They worked all, I worked all these hours. They only worked one hour. They got the same pay I got. That's not fair. Right? But the landowner gives his explanation to this. And whenever you see yellow, please read with me. Matthew 20, verses 13 to 14. But the landowner answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Well, we get several takeaways here. First, they received what they agreed to work for, didn't they? They agreed to work for denarius and that's what they received. They would have been content with that day's wage had they not known what the others had gotten paid right if they had no idea what the others had gotten paid they would have been satisfied with the denarius because that's what they had agreed to work for see it's only when we compare ourselves to others that we start thinking about fair and unfair that we start worrying about what we have and what we don't have and then we start to get upset because we feel like we are lacking it's amazing to me how when I take groups of people to Mexico and they go into Mexico and they see the, the living situation in Mexico, more often than not, people feel very blessed with the life that they have. They feel very blessed with what they have in their lives. In fact, many of the, the youth that I've taken over the years have said things like, I'm never going to complain again about what I don't have. Why? Because it puts it in perspective, right? We only complain when we start to compare ourselves to others and start to think that they have what we don't have. But second, they were not thankful that they had been chosen to work, right? They were standing in the marketplace. Why were they in the marketplace? They were in the marketplace because they wanted work. And the landowner comes and he chooses them to come and work. And so they were being fruitful with their time, not just standing around. They were being helpful with their lives. They were benefiting the landowners well. But they weren't thankful that they had that opportunity to work. They were just focusing on what they got paid and what they thought they should have gotten paid in the end. Third, it was the landowner's money to give as he chose. Right? He could decide what he wanted to give. And he wanted to be generous. And so he gave the denarius to the first workers like they had agreed. But then he decided to be generous and give everyone else a denarius also. He had that right. It didn't seem fair to the first group of workers. But that is because their focus was on themselves. They needed to focus on that they had an opportunity to work. They needed to focus on the, the, the fact that they had been paid a fair wage, a wage that they himself had agreed upon. This is not a lesson of earthly possessions, but a, but a lesson on heavenly reward and God's blessings. Ultimately, we understand that, that some people accept Jesus Christ very young, right? And you know Jesus, and you have salvation, and you know that you're saved, and you know that you have God's presence in your life, and and you serve the Lord, and you're blessed in that service. And you know that when you die, you have the promise of eternal life in heaven. But then there's also those who are on their dying bed might accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And those people, too, have what? They have eternal life in heaven with God. They receive the same reward. We shouldn't be concerned with how long someone has known Christ. We should only be concerned with who comes to know Jesus. That should be one of our main focuses in our life. We want everyone to come to know Jesus. We want everyone to have the reward of heaven and, and presence in, in God's presence when they die. Our focus should be on being thankful for God's generosity in giving us eternal life. We should show our thankfulness by humbly and truly living a good and faithful life to the Lord and trying to help others understand that they can have that free gift of eternal life. They too can have meaning and purpose as a child of God, as a servant of the Lord. As we humble ourselves before the Lord and serve Him, then we will not worry about what others have or compare our situation to others. We will learn how to be content with what we have, because our eyes will be on heaven and the things of heaven, as Doug read earlier, not on the things of earth and the possessions that will never satisfy us or fulfill us in our lives you don't feel God's blessings in your life right now, it is possible that you haven't humbled yourself before God in the right way. It's possible that your eyes are on the wrong things. It is possible that you have not given yourself over to service to the Lord, which is a wonderful blessing when you actually use your life to bless and benefit others. As Jesus said, read with me, So the last will be first, and the first will be last. God will lift up those who humble themselves and bless those who put themselves into his presence. God is generous in that he gives us eternal life. Have you ever had someone tell you, sit down, we need to talk? (laughs) If anyone has ever done that with you, you know that probably bad news is coming, right? Usually people don't say, sit down, we need to talk, right? Maybe they're going to tell you about the end of a relationship, or maybe they're going to tell you about a sickness that they have, right? And so they sit you down and say, we need to talk. Well, we see in the next section of Matthew 20, Jesus is doing this. They're going along. He's walking with disciples, and he pulls them aside, and in essence, he says to them, we need to talk. And we see that in verse 18. We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. Now, this isn't the first time that Jesus has talked about his death. Back in Matthew 16, he told them about it. And that was hard for them to hear the first time. Maybe that's why he's telling them again, because they didn't want to deal with it, right? Someone so dear to them, the Son of God, the Messiah, the one who came to save people from their sins. He was going to die. We don't want to hear about that. We don't want to lose you, Jesus, right? And so now he brings it up again in Matthew 20. But then he goes on to more detail. He says, and we'll hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. He's going to be mocked and flogged and crucified. He is going to die the death of a criminal. He's going to be embarrassed and ridiculed. He's going to experience a very public and painful death how difficult this must have been for the disciples to hear Jesus talk about this. They didn't want to, to think about Jesus going through this. But Jesus knew that they need to understand all of this, right? And he was trying to help them understand. Imagine for a moment that when my children are first born, they somehow were able to comprehend my words, right, when they were first born. And so at the very beginning... Let's say that they were able to understand. Now let's say that I said this to them. Now that you are here, I'm going to have to make some sacrifices for you. Your mom is going to stay home, and so we're going to have to live on one salary. So we'll have to make choices. We probably won't have as nice of cars as other people. We probably won't have as nice of houses as other people. We won't go out and eat that much. You might have to wear some Hand-me-downs. And on and on I go. And then I say to them, but this will be for your good, because you will be safe and loved and cared for. We'll make sure that you have everything you need. We'll help guide you and prepare you for life. We'll make sure that you have a good education and good opportunities. These sacrifices will be for your good. This is what Jesus is saying, right? But no, no child could understand that, could they? A child couldn't understand why parents make sacrifices. But as parents, we understand that. We understand that we have to make sacrifices for our children, and we're okay with that. We're okay with going, with not having what we want so that they can have what they need. We're okay with that because we know that the sacrifices we make are for their good. And so we willingly do this. Read with me. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Jesus says, I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to go through all these things. I'm going to be ridiculed. I'm going to be embarrassed. I'm going to do all this. And I'm going to do this all because I love you. I'm going to make this sacrifice because I know that it will be for your good. Because on the third day, I will be raised to life. I will pay the penalty for your sin. I will make it so that you can come into heaven and be with God forever. I will do these things. I will make this sacrifice for your good. Romans 5.10 For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life for our good? John 12, 24. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. In Christ's sacrifice, death, and resurrection, we are forgiven cleansed, saved, redeemed, freed from our sin, given new life, empowered, filled with the Holy Spirit, and so much more. It is for our good that he made his sacrifice. And while it's not good news for us to hear that Jesus had to be killed, we understand the benefits of his death because of his resurrection. God is generous in that Christ died for us so that we might have life abundantly. When Tyler was growing up, he played baseball throughout uh, most of his growing up years, and um, many of those years I... Well, a couple of those years I managed his team, but the rest of the years I just coached his team, which means that I wasn't in charge, right? There was a manager and I was a coach. But I had the manager's ear, Right? <laughs> And so if I ever felt like Tyler wasn't getting enough playing time, or if I didn't feel like Tyler was getting the right positions, what do you think I did? I would whisper in the manager's ear, right? We should be playing Tyler here. We should be doing this with Tyler. Tyler should be batting here, right? Right? But you know what the truth of the matter was is Tyler was a good enough uh, player that he earned those things. And it was more important for him to earn them than me as a parent to try to get the manager to give them to him, right, if he didn't deserve it. So in the end, I realized that I needed to let Tyler just play. I needed to let Tyler earn what he got from the manager. But as a father, as a father, I wanted good for my child, right? I wanted the best for my child. I mention this illustration because I think when we think in those terms, it helps us to understand what happens next in the scripture. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, James and John, came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want? Jesus asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Now you might remember a few chapters ago that that James and John were along with Peter in that inner circle, right, that went up to the mountain with Jesus and saw Jesus be transfigured. And so maybe the mother thought that they were special, more special than the other disciples, right? Or maybe James and John thought that they were more special than the other disciples. And so they wanted a special place in the kingdom of God, right? But Jesus comes and turns everything upside down, and says so it's not about power and position, position that make life meaningful or important. And so, what Jesus does is he calls all the disciples together in verses twenty-five to twenty-eight, and he said, "You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Right? All about power and position. That's what makes life important, right?" Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you want to be great? Follow Jesus' example and be a servant to others. Be a servant by helping someone who is in need. Be a servant by giving some to someone who is lacking. Be a servant by carrying someone's burden. Be a servant by lifting up someone who is down. Live the life of a servant, looking out for the needs around you, caring for those who need your help, who need a kind word, who need a little gift. This is an example that Jesus set for us. God is a servant. As he sent Christ to serve us, we too should serve others. There's a story of a famous speaker who was a disciple of Darwin. His name was Thomas Henry Huxley. One day, after finishing a lecture, he rushed out to the the horse-drawn taxi, and he said, hurry, I'm late. Go fast. He assumed that the Hotel doorman had given the directions to the taxi driver, and so off they went, and that driver took off in the taxi. Thomas Henry Huxley leaned back, closed his eyes, and just relaxed for a while. After a while, he opened his eyes and he looked out, and he realized that they were going west, away from the train station, not east. And so he yells out to the driver, Do you know where you're going? And the driver yells back, no, but I'm going fast. (laughs) How many people in our life are going fast, but in the wrong way? How many people are working hard, but for the wrong reasons? How many are trying their best, but without purpose? Jesus reminds us that our focus should be on being generous, sacrificial, and having a servant's heart. Today is the first Sunday of Lent. Lent is understanding or trying to understand all that Christ has done for us, right? It started this last Wednesday, on Ash Wednesday. It makes its way all the way to Easter Sunday. And during that time, we're called to reflect On our lives, reflect on your relationship with God. Reflect on where is our focus? Is it on our lives and trying to get everything that we want? Or is it on really living for God and serving others? There really is a difference in life. When you live for yourselves, you will ultimately not be satisfied and always be found wanting. When you live for Christ and a servant to others, God's economy makes it so that we are truly blessed and fulfilled experience God's presence and power and joy. I pray that we would make a commitment this Lent service to be generous, to be sacrificial, to be a servant to others. And I hope you would join with me in seeking to do that. Let us pray.